0: Hi, everyone. This is Father Jim, and thank you, as always, for tuning in to my podcast here. Um, Today, we're celebrating the second Sunday of Advent. And before we get to today's homily, I just want to make another plug for our annual Christmas appeal here at Red Hawk Catholic. Um, This past week, we finally hit the $10,000 threshold um, as our Trying to hit our goal of thirty-five thousand dollars this Christmas season. If you're interested, we appreciate your consideration. You can just go to RedHawkCatholic.com, and there's a donate button there. Uh, there's also our address if you'd rather send a check to the Newman Center. And as always, thank you for your consideration. I appreciate all the support. God bless. <laughs> My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. And with spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way a voice of one crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his path." John the Baptist appeared in the desert, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People of the whole Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He fed on locusts and wild honey. And this is what he proclaimed. One mightier than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop and loosen the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. Forecasts, predictions, prophecies. We can treat all those words basically as meaning the same things, telling us what will happen. The meteorologist on the Weather Channel gives us seven-day forecasts of temperatures, direction and strength of the wind, what kind of conditions to expect outdoors. Sportscasters will make predictions on who will win the game this weekend. Financial speculators like one called Crypto Prophecy is a site where people can predict on how much this new form of currency will be worth. How much validity do any of these have? And how much pay attention do we give to them? Usually it depends on how much we invest in what they're saying, how important their message might be to us. The other day, I was conversing with this person who was in charge of this, this massive outdoor event that's coming up tomorrow on campus. And when she shared that was what she was working on, she instantly saw the reaction on my face, and she said, don't say it, Father. The weather's gonna be fine. Two others joined into the conversation at this point. We all whipped out our phones, comparing what different weather apps were giving and their variations. Those of us not invested in organizing and planning and running the event didn't see much difference between the hour-by-hour forecast, but for her, Seeing one that only had 60% chance of rain was a reason for optimism since others were saying 70%. When you're listening to a sportscaster making their prediction for the game, it matters if you're a fan who knows the sport, knows the team, knows the players, and have been following for a while to see if what they're saying makes valid sense, makes an actual assessment as something that's possible, as opposed to someone who's not familiar with it at all. You can spot the difference if you say to someone, you want to make a bet on the game this weekend, and they say, well, I hear the Jets are a lock this year. Obviously, the last time to listen to a sports reporter was in passing sometime this summer before Aaron Rodgers' season ended two minutes into the first game. And there are too many stories and examples of the mess that's created by individuals giving a financial tip. They seem as reliable as picking lottery numbers. Because we often see how these prognosticators may or may not be correct, misled by them, deliberately or not, we can kind of lump all of them into the same category where we treat them all skeptically, where we pay attention to them when we want to, or when we can be selective in whom we pay attention to, or what message they're saying. And sadly, that also has spilled into how how some approach biblical prophets looking for answers to questions that we want answered, listening to a prediction of doom only when it seems directed toward someone that we've determined as an enemy, wanting to hear forecasts that will speak of assurance to our fears. And that's not new. Throughout biblical history, when God's prophets had a message about an enemy that would be defeated or how God is gonna bring restoration People would hang on to those words. But many were less interested when a prophet was underscoring how the people had gone astray, how they had failed and what they needed to do. But God's prophets are not ones that we can kind of pick and choose who to listen to or what parts of the message that we wish to accept. When God sends a prophet, they're not offering their opinions on things consulting their history and experience to form some sort of an analysis. They're God's very messengers. They're offering his word to his people. Through visions and revelations and other intense mystical experiences, God would lead the prophets to understand things that were occurring and how God was calling for his people to respond. And that gives them their authority, their their relevance, and the importance that transcends those particular days and events, and demands a seriousness that goes far beyond any of our experiences with the weathermen and the like. This second Sunday of Advent, we encounter two prophets, and their words to us are essential in this season of hope, this anticipation and preparation for us to encounter Jesus Christ anew. That first reading from the prophet Isaiah starts with those words, comfort, give comfort to my people. They're words that transcend our Bibles and this scripture passage as I only recently learned. Over the years, I've only heard excerpts of the, the choral piece by Handel called the Messiah. I've always enjoyed the the Christmas piece, for unto us a child is born, and the hallelujah chorus is something that's almost universally known. So honestly, that was all that I knew of the work, but three biblical commentaries this week that I was praying with all mentioned the movement, Comfort Ye from the Messiah, which is based on this reading, with one saying, if you have never heard it, drop everything and listen to it, which obediently I did, thank you to the internet. And that writer was correct. I agree with his assessment. It's almost impossible to invent music that does justice to those words. But Handel did. Whether it's sung or it's proclaimed, the boldness and the directness of those words are striking. Comfort. Give comfort to my people, says your God. We can just get lost in that and tune in and out to the rest of that scripture and just gravitate to those beautiful sentiments like the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, glad tidings, good news. Whatever it is we're facing or dealing with, whatever tension there might be around us, whatever's going on in the world, those words seem perfectly timed to answer. But Isaiah wasn't meant to be just taken out and used like a bomb for our personal wants and needs and then quickly put back on the shelf the moment that that discomforts pass. Isaiah lived about 800 years before the birth of Christ. And this prophecy comes from the the 40th chapter out of 66 of that book. And at that time, the prophet of God experienced the collapse of their earthly kingdom The the people had seen their promised land and their heritage being squandered as they had turned further and further away from God. That wasn't something that Isaiah was predicting. It happened. So Isaiah was underlining them. Their sins had consequences. People didn't like hearing that then any more than people do today. And so some tuned out, dismissing the prophet just as a a fear monger a messenger of doom, simply trying to make people feel bad. But Isaiah wasn't trying to manipulate them into right actions by warning them of, like, some divine sidewalk cop saying, don't think about crossing the street on that red light. Isaiah was telling his fellow people, now that they had gotten run over by the car, they had gotten what they had chosen. God wasn't being some passive-aggressive and petty being, just setting things up for their demise. He had entered into a covenant with them. He had told them he would be their God. They would be his people. And he had given them commands that were meant for their happiness, for their flourishing, for peace, for order. Now that the people had made compromises with those commandments, created loopholes for themselves, now that they had been unfaithful and things had started to fall apart, That wasn't God just getting even and exacting retribution. It was a direct result of their free will and their choices. Isaiah wasn't telling them anything they didn't already know, even if they didn't want to know it. But God was telling them, it doesn't have to be this way. They could see his kindness. They could experience peace. Salvation was near. Not in the ways they had previously experienced it. Not in the ways that they couldn't even imagine. It's not simply God coming to save them as he did in the past where all that was required was their faith and belief. Isaiah tells the people they need massive transformations to experience these promises. When he says, every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. That's the people's job, not God's. Such geographical transformations are massive. Even more so are the spiritual ones. Those finding themselves at the the lowest point of their lives in valleys of sin and failure. Those at the mountain peaks of arrogance and pride. It takes time, it takes commitment, it takes perseverance to transform both of those realities. But God had not forgotten them. Even when they had turned from him, he still loved them. Even when they had been unfaithful, he remained faithful. So God sends Isaiah to be his voice and to speak to the hearts of those who are feeling that unfulfillment, who feel unsatisfied and lost and isolated, saying, yeah, this is not how things are supposed to be. That's not how I intended them to be. But listen, listen to my voice, hear me calling, start filling in those valleys, start leveling those mountains, and you can begin to experience my comfort. By the time we get to the gospel that we heard today, it had been over 400 years since the people of Israel had heard any prophetic word or utterance. That cycle of sin, repentance, Restore, repeat, had happened over and over and over, repeatedly, leading to these centuries of silence, to where some anxiously worried that God had might have finally given up on his people. St. Mark's gospel, which beginning last Sunday will be the gospel we spend most time at the Sunday Mass for the next year, is written on the account of the preachings of St. Peter. So while we ascribe this to St. Mark, It's actually the eyewitness testimony and teaching offered by the one that Jesus named the rock on which he would build the church, our first pope, Simon Peter. And because of that, if you ever sat down and just read Mark from beginning to end, which is not as daunting or difficult as you might think, you could probably do it in an hour, you hear this energy, you hear this excitement as St. Peter is desperately telling you what happened why it mattered to him, why it matters, and why it should matter to you and I. Peter's life as a Jew in that day and age was marked by a lot of mountains and valleys just because of the realities that had affected God's chosen people at that time in history. And more than likely, he had some of his own personal mountains and valleys that needed to be addressed as well. And today we hear those opening words to the Gospel, and we hear him testifying how dramatically all that got upended in meeting Jesus. In fact, he doesn't spend a lot of time recounting John the Baptist's ministry because he's racing to tell us about Jesus. It's why he doesn't even get into Jesus' birth like Matthew and Luke do. Peter feels that urgency to share the Gospel. And that's why there's another translation of this gospel which makes it sound so much even more urgent. The words we heard in our translation start at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It sounds like the title to the book. But the other translation starts with, this is how it began. The good news of Jesus, the anointed one of God, the son of God. Peter is all about us coming to know Jesus and finding in him salvation himself. Salvation from sin and from death. But as much as he doesn't spend a lot of time with John, he doesn't overlook him either. He tells us that everyone was going out to see John. They're coming from all areas. They're coming from all walks of life. After 400 years of seeming silence from God, this man named John the Baptist is in the desert and his prophetic voice proclaiming this baptism of repentance. This eccentric figure out in the wilderness draws people to him because they hear someone who knows of the storms and loneliness of the world, but is confident and he's unafraid of it because he's encountered God. He's been sent by God to tell others and raise their hopes and their expectations to help prepare the way for them to meet him as well. And that's why these prophetic words greet us this second Sunday of Advent they remind us that God's story is not a bunch of events that are just relegated to the past where we treat the Bible as a history book or even worse as a bunch of myths it's when people fall into those mistaken beliefs that they start picking and choosing verses and quotes that will just fit into their lives and their plans and we listen simply to what we want to hear When we recognize that these scriptures are the living Word of God, the voices of Isaiah, St. John the Baptist, St. Mark and St. Peter, they call out to us to have a living faith where we recognize this is our story. God has loved us into being and desires our fulfillment now and for all eternity. Hear the prophetic voices calling us, calling us away from the noise, and the distractions of this world, pleading with us to repent of the sins and the vices that enslave and entrap us. The Lord sends his prophets to ask us to just take some time, reflect on what's going on in our world, what mountains of arrogance and pride, what valleys of sin and failure have I ignored but are causing me distress, causing me anxiety, have left me feeling isolated from others And perhaps feeling this distance from God God's messengers remind us it doesn't have to be that way it's not how he intends us to live so maybe this is meant just to cause some deep personal reflection how is the Lord inviting us to begin chipping away at that mountain how to start filling in that valley perhaps it's an invitation to reach out to some family or friends where there's been some tension and look for reconciliation. Maybe it means making a thorough examination of conscience and going to confession before Christmas. To each of us, these voices remind us of the nearness of the Lord, encouraging us not to delay in responding so that we too can experience the comfort, the glory of the Lord being revealed to us in Jesus Christ, the Son of God.